0: Doing this in bed is actually quite tricky. All right.
1: No comment. (laughs) And out of makeup. Hello and welcome to episode 56 of the world-famous Tetchbord Zoology Proddle Kangs. <laughs> I'm David Starkey.
0: David Starkey? <laughs> 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 Who's that? <laughs> i told you everything you need to know. Hang on, hang on. It sounds familiar. He's, a, he's on television, isn't he?
1: Yeah, just move on. Christ, who are you? <laughs> uh,
0: well, the American listeners won't know.
1: Well, that's their problem.
0: Okay. Fine.
1: He's written loads of books, and he's an uh, annoying Is he the historian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. God, he's Who's
0: off. always talking about kings and queens, like they're the only yeah. people that ever matter.
1: Yeah, but he yeah. also has has. Like, I don't even want to talk about him. Just who are you? <laughs> <laughs> he just got a set of really offensive notions and gets on tv as one of these like people that was meant to listen to even though why do we even uh, anyway who are you i'm donald trump oh my god (laughs) Uh, do we want to do we want to briefly touch on that whole clustered up cheeto covered tiny-handed mess of a thing wrong Or, or no no Oh, it's very sad. Very sad exclamation mark. That's <laughs> my <laughs> Donald Trump impression. <clears throat> um, let's begin with uh, so long, long delay between the uh, bef- uh, between this episode and the previous one and there's loads of reasons for that and we've gone weeks and weeks when we've tried to arrange a new episode and it just hasn't been able to happen due to workload we're both unbelievably busy yeah we both had good christmases and all that stuff didn't we we've met yeah. up a couple of times due to various things and um uh what, have you finished the text the, the images for that exhibition
0: uh it, yes yes i'm done now well, i can i can talk about it i think i was uh, doing Commissioned to do uh, paintings for the Kuwaiti Museum. Things, and it was a bit of a rush job, and I had to produce about eighteen paintings in December. So eighteen, eighteen. So I just spent the entire month painting and did nothing else. Um, God, I'm sick of painting, Darren. I want out of this art and artisting business. Get a proper
1: job <laughs> yeah if i mean it's well, nice well, it's
0: nice to get like a big solid bit of work like that, but yeah it's um yeah it could have right. been it could have been less of a rush, would have been nice to have been able to do some other things you know
1: Christmas, well, I've been, for example yeah mm. I've been busy 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 um, uh, in part in part dinosaurs in the world, which I'll talk a little bit about later, a uh, little bit of follow up. Um, uh, again this happens every time it's just been so long I've almost forgotten but I haven't quite forgotten because when we were talking about venimosity the evil, the evidence for venimosity in the fossil record mm-hmm. episode, episode 55 that was the one where we did a full episode and then lost it and then had to re-record it and of course stupid me tried to replay the whole event in my head and it partly worked but it partly didn't we'll say it and word for word Yes, Austrana. What did I say that time? Uh, this is where I paused, I looked wistfully at the ceiling, and I said ah, bison alvius." Yeah. Um, I forgot in the second run some stuff that I'd mentioned in the first one, which was something to do with Triassic v- evidence for venimosity in Triassic archosauriforms, Namely, Uet chitodon, I think. And something else, like venomous mammals, like pantalestines or something oh god okay so that yeah so there you go that's your follow-up right <clears throat> good follow-up. so in the interest in the interest of uh, moving on let's move on and uh we've got uh, uh a bunch of cash for questions which we which we, we're going to try and get shaking through. it up
0: darren shaking it up doing things yeah. in random order
1: yeah i've I've kind of decided i was just saying to john i've kind of decided that that sort of works mix and match we did used to do chaos reigns we should do that more yeah oh and drinking game okay
0: hang on hang on i'm gonna check whether you're really drinking this time (laughs) what do you mean well you've got a glass
1: two glasses looks like coke Uh, could be rum that is not coke (laughs) And that looks like water. <laughs> but it's not water. Uh there is the two minute rule. <clears throat> so you are to keep your eyes on the clock. <laughs> okay, so without further ado. Ado <laughs> <laughs> Oh, shit, <that's> a drag. <laughs> uh, <right. laughs> um I've also got Facebook open, so if anyone has any witty banter they want to chip in with, well we'll just see. <laughs>
0: Hang on, they they can't hear us now, Darren. What? They can't hear us right now.
1: I'm going to pay attention to. I've have i done that thing where I've said if anybody has any um you know anything worth oh, saying, okay, okay. shout outs, that sort All of right, thing. Right, right, right. I'm not talking about what you think. I'm talking about. Okay.
0: <clears throat> um. Right. Right. So we're going to do a cash question
1: Let's just get straight onto right, it. Right. Okay. This interact. one's from
0: Joe Picard.
1: Joe Picard. Give me a number.
0: 110. Howdy, can you please discuss the dinosaur soft tissue controversy in exchange for this money? Oh, God. And he has given us some money, so we must discuss the dinosaur soft tissue controversy or controversy.
1: Controversy, I think you'll find. Um, So, the problem is.
0: The problem is there seems to be several
1: controversies,
0: and and how controversial they are, mm. or controversial they are.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the pyramidal tracts are <clears throat>
0: <laughs> um, it is it's debatable. It's itself.
1: Yeah. So, what do you think? What specifically? Uh, what specifically do you think Joe was asking after?
0: Mm. So I guess, um, there's a historical controversy over, um, feathering. Um, there's the current one, which seems to be more of an argument with people about um, people who know what they're talking about with people that don't know what they're talking about. Um, <sighs> about how feathered we should make feathered theropods, for example, or whether
1: they look dumb. Can I stop you there?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. So, wait, no, no. You no seriously, let,
1: no. Let me. Let me the, no. The way I see this is what I think the issue is 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 <laughs> Joe um, asking about the life appearance of dinosaurs as it pertains to soft tissues, or is it a controversy regarding the um, uh, chemical composition? microstructure and mode of preservation of soft tissues in uh-huh. dinosaurs. Because to a paleontologist, particularly those who come from the geological angle, if you say, tell me about dinosaur soft tissues, you'll start hearing stuff about the autolithification of bacteria, yeah. carbonized films. Do you, do you see what I'm getting at? Is it? I, I sense, given what people are in general interested in, particularly people that listen to us or in, and interact with us, I sense it's more to do with dinosaur life appearance, right? Yeah, like lips, how much, how much tissue we put on necks and faces, and integument. Mm. Uh, other issues of integument, right? That's what I'm getting at. Yeah. In which case, in which case, Joe is presumably asking about. Tell me what dinosaurs look like.
0: Yeah, I guess so. Uh, I think there's so many. Yeah, although they kind of overlap, don't they? Because there's the whole um thing about color and what the uh melanosomes and the preservation of melanosomes and that sort of thing what all that means um but <clears throat> so where should we start we should start with some specifics and work our way through them i
1: guess all right well where do you think we should start i can just launch into this but i don't want to go off on one of my tedious well,
0: launch in and i'll interrupt you
1: all right so uh a lot of basic things we would say about the life appearance of extinct dinosaurs we come back to that whole issue of bracketing we've covered many times. We have data on the life appearance of crocodilians, life appearance of birds, which obviously we think applicable <coughs> to <laughs> uh, John's ill. Uh, applicable to the life appearance of dinosaurs. Uh, the arguments over whether uh, certain dinosaur, whether you know all dinosaurs were scaly skinned, is obviously you know by the by now because we've got substantially you know amazingly good fossil evidence indicating that. Feathers and fibres and filaments are the norm in uh, certainly bird-like theropods and also in some other dinosaur groups as well, namely some Ornithischian groups. Um, One of the problems here, however, is that living crocodilians and living birds have a whole list of their own um, weird things, their own specialties that people have applied to extinct dinosaurs and which may actually uh, not be applicable because dinosaurs may, in non-bird dinosaurs may in cases possess the kind of ancestral condition oh. for both groups. For example, one of the things that just will not go away is discussed constantly concerns facial appearance in non-bird <sighs> dinosaurs. Did they have such things as uh, like lips covering their teeth, like how much flappy tissue was there sort of around the jaw edges and uh, the, how how was the skull streamlined into the neck all those kinds of things and we kind of get different answers if we look at modern birds and if yeah. we look at crocodilians so crocodilians have basically got you know skin tights well, the skin is closely oppressed to the underlying skull bones. They technically don't have scales. They've got this uh, cracked, heavily keratinized epidermis. They certainly don't have lips. You know, the bases of their teeth are exposed. And modern, well, birds, stop saying modern birds, Darren, birds all have beak tissue and, of course, don't have teeth. So when it comes to what the appearance of, like, jaw edges was like in non-bird dinosaurs, it doesn't seem that either toothless birds or... Uh, living uh, crocodilians are uh, applicable models, yeah. and so this argument just won't go away. Some people say, "Well, maybe there was raptotheca all over the place. Maybe they were, maybe they had tightly oppressed skin like uh, crocodilians." But increasingly, a lot of us are saying, based on the re- on this realization, the fact that crocs and birds are weird. Um, and on the fact that the detailed anatomy of non-bird dinosaurs indicates that they are different from both crown groups, we're saying that no, maybe we should be looking at other animals. Maybe we should be looking at, at squamates. I mean, the idea of uh, the idea of extensive facial tissues like those of, of squamates is is looking, I think, uh, I think more likely. And uh, therefore, we, yeah, I, I don't think I don't think that that non- bird dinosaurs were like crocs. And of course, crocs are weird, you know, partly because they're specialised for an amphibious yeah. Mostly specialized in amphibious lifestyle.
0: And so this is sort of like a it's the triple for phylogenetic bracket. If the two if the actual bracketing um groups are both specialized in different ways, you can't tell what the the node is. You can't really tell what dinosaurs had if birds and crocs are both specialized in different ways. And so you look at the third the outgroup bracket there, which it's squamates in this case, the ones we know about, right? And, yeah, so we – it does I shouldn't actually, have said squamates.
1: I should have said lapidosaurs because, of course, it's sphenodontians, but, yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah, lepidosaurs. right, so lizards, basically,
0: right? Lizardy type things.
1: Lizard, snakes, tartaras in Kenya. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, so it's kind of – yeah, so we – but it does mean that we don't actually have a good hypothesis of what that node looks like. We can kind of guess what is possible, but it's not. T- it's a very it's it's a very uninformative bracket when it comes to facial tissue, isn't it? Um, so we've got to go on anatomical arguments and yeah, similar things.
1: Yeah, well, one one thing I would add here, um, I may already alluded to, it, is the fact that this. Expanded phylogenetic bracket way of thinking is in keeping with what we kind of think from some details of the anatomy. Anyway, so for example, as anyone who knows anything about the science and art of reconstructing dinosaurs will know, <laughs> there's long been this argument that, well, you know, uh, a lot of dinosaurs, you put even in a, even in a very well preserved skull, you put the jaws together, the jaws don't align neatly it's some there's sometimes indications from the texture at the edges of the jaws that it looks like there's some extra tissue around the jaw edges um things like that things that are making making us think that you know you can't get them to like interlock neatly there it does look like there is some some slop some soft tissue around the jaw edges yeah so you've got you've got people saying that anyway you've you know you've got people like Greg Paul and so on reconstructing lip like tissues and cheek like tissues and not incidentally specifically lips or cheeks as in mammals of course but you've got those kinds of tissues being illustrated uh,
0: but i yeah uh, uh, i always say this like we shouldn't hyper homologize everything lip well, has a meaning outside of these things well, and yeah, cheek has a know, meaning and yeah, so you know I, but I think it's a big mistake to keep to do this because then you end up with narrower and narrower, and narrower definitions and You have to come up with stupid terms for stuff, which everyone knows what they mean, right?
1: But you know why I'm doing it? Because every single time you do it, you get criticised. You get some anatomist saying, oh, yes, but that implies... Yeah,
0: but I say say to those anatomists, screw you. (laughs) (laughs) Use the terms that make sense. Lips cheeks
1: uh, i don't know because because in the for example in the ornithological literature where there is like a a cheek-like tissue ornithologists don't call it a cheek it's called a rictus and where there are lip-like tissues in lizards they're not called lips they're called like labial rows or labial folds or oh, labial yeah, scales that's made
0: it so <laughs> much clearer to everyone hasn't it tangent it's tangent. a terrible a f- terrible way of, of talking about things
1: Don't take us on this stupid tangent. You're wasting valuable time. Tangents are good. That's why people listen. How do you know? Oh, yeah. 8.9 million listeners as of last episode. Exactly. Just write that down. Um, Yeah. So, okay. Especially when
0: they're just normal, everyday terms. That's when it's really bad. If you've got, like, a specific anatomical term already, then okay. But lips, cheeks? No. Sorry.
1: I know what I like, and I like caveats. So so you, shut up. We're going to stick with the caveats. So so, um, basically, the way this is going, so bear in mind a lot of us interested in this, do actually look at the anatomy of living animals. You look at x-rays of squamates and birds and stuff. The general pattern is, there's a whole ton of extra tissue there that doesn't the, – this, this, again, this will be familiar to listeners because it ties into what's known universally as the all-yesterday's movement. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the shrink, uh, shrink-wrapping dinosaurs, uh, <clears throat> just the idea that there's, there's going to be a ton of extra tissue. And when you look at uh, – okay, crocs often, not universally, but often are an exception because this tightly applied – skin which incidentally is not unique to crocs i've been writing a lot about temnos spondyls it's the case in a lot of them uh, as well Mm -hmm. but um you look at how much soft tissue there is around like the jaws and jaw edges jaw margins um all the bony margins of like squamate skulls and those are many other animals um there's lots of examples i mean even at the front of the skull in like a lizard where you look at these, you know, you've got this really nice, tight, you know, nice bony, sharply defined bony margins. Are they like just thinly covered in a thin layer of skin and, and easily visible in life? No, they're submerged in like in say a lizard with a, I don't know, a four centimeter long skull. You're talking about like several millimeters enough for it to be quite a difference and don't, in scale factoring thing because it's the same in big lizards as well yeah. the at the back of the skull where the, t- the the tradition in reconstructions is again to show tightly tightly the the skin wrapping around the edges of you know all the bones at the back of the skull you look at loads of animals lizards birds mammals amphibians all of that stuff is deeply submerged in tissue that's more or less continuous from the back of the skull uh, into into the neck and and again you know so many of us are now saying the same thing and have seen this in x-rays and, you know, seen it in CT scans of living animals and are thinking it's, uh, that we've we've way overdone it in the past in terms of tightly, tightly, tightly applying those tissues to show the underlying anatomy.
0: Yeah, and I think one of the things to mention here is it's not just surface tissues, it's um, subcutaneous tissues and muscles make a big difference. And there's been a tendency, I mean, Greg Paul does this because he's a super highly technical way of drawing of making muscles look really neat.
1: Have you seen the new actual
0: animals have sort of muscles that spread out into soft tissues all over the place. They're really messy a lot of the time. Right. Um,
1: Yeah. Yeah. So this thing, John and I were talking recently about the, um, is it the posterior pterygoideus, the big muscles at the back of the lower jaw. And the fact that following in the tradition of Greg Paul, the convention in paleo art, in dinosaur reconstructions is to show all that musculature as tightly following the posterior margin of the lower jaw but you look at living reptiles uh, turtles crocs and, and lizards and other uh, lepidosaurs. that's not what those muscles do those muscles it's, particularly if they're big and particularly if they're really big they basically kind of like bulge outwards and downwards like these big how do you describe them? like big muscle sacks sort yeah. of underneath the lower jaw, and uh, we haven't really seen that in paleo art. I did actually show I, I had a Tyrannosaurus Rex like that at the uh, New Scientist um, live talk I gave, and it just looked stupid. But um,
0: I've been going and adding it to a lot of my pictures. It does look kind of funny, um, but yeah, I think that's correct. Yeah, the, what the fa- what muscles do on the face is. It's not generally the way we've been reconstructing dinosaurs.
1: So have you seen the new edition of Greg Paul's uh, The Princeton Field Guide to Dinosaurs? No, I haven't seen it there's a really funny bit in there because he's added, he's added a few new bits. I I don't, it hasn't got enough new stuff in it for me to want to buy it or to justify buying it. But he's got a new, a few reconstructions, a new Dynokyrus and stuff. But he's got a bit in there where he says that, um, he talks about the fact that modern artists are now reconstructing feathery theropods, non bird theropods, and whatever, with, Rather than like you know, the sort of snake like S shaped neck, oh. the with a more aeroshell kind of thing where you've got all this soft tissue, you know, um, uh, beefing up the neck and streamlining it into the thorax, he says, No, that's not the case. And and he has reconstructions of the S shaped thing, very similar to what he's always done. It's like, What have you actually looked at any of the fossils? Because yeah. the fossils specifically don't show greg paul what you're saying they do there really is a deep um span of tissue uh behind the that's the thing i'm trying to describe yeah you yeah. see that right yeah. yeah this deep span of tissue at the back of the neck and uh, a lot of tissue underneath the the jaw and uh, you know take uh, underneath the ventral surface of the neck carrying it to the chest which again is what people kind of have predicted based on based on living animals whether they be turtles squamates birds um so yeah i think it's interesting who'd have thunk it who'd have thought that we would one day see greg paul be the conservative (laughs) (laughs) conservative um what you call it person trying to maintain the the old school yeah
0: the orthodoxy yeah 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 i find that kind of fascinating that he sort of Seem to stop in the what the two thousands, and then never retrograde. Yeah, because <laughs> he's feathered that theropods are the least convincing of all thera- feathered theropods, and he's the guy that basically invented th- feathered theropods.
1: Yeah, it's weird. <clears> oh <throat> uh, yeah. Now, yeah, I think I think we could say a lot more on life appearance. I think that's a, a start. Uh, I, I kind of think that we should come back to it on other occasions. What do you think? Because um, we could yeah. say similar stuff about, of course, the tail. But again, I feel like this is well known now. Lots of people are saying this, are saying, you know, once you add in those big cord ephemeral muscles, once you think about the fact the animals will have fat and sometimes thick skin, there's now this general thinking that, okay – uh, those of you aware of the whole feather Nazi thing, basically that term shouldn't ever be used and stop using it. It's stupid. I know it's sort of a joke, but it's. Uh, it's uh, uh, d- I I I like Dwayne Nash. I I think he's great, and I, I read his stuff. But um, this this whole idea that there's like you know certain schools that we should sort of identify and be mean to. Not 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 saying that Dwayne is doing that. But um, it just just should be avoided. But but sorry, my point here is that um, yes, we acknowledge that feathering and filamentous structures that probably are homologous with feathers are certainly widespread in theropods, and then probably present in a few other ornithischians. But nobody that knows what they're talking about thinks thinks it's that simple. I mean, we've got the more we learn, the more the more every single every single time we find good soft tissue evidence in fossil dinosaurs it's basically showing that they're not just all covered in the same kind of tightly adhering bland scaly integument even when you've got scales it's quite diverse and interesting and there's evidence for discrete patches of certain textures and forms and evidence for tubercles and other things and and there is a a gray a large area of gray between you know just scaly skin and purely feathery skin and all manner of intermediates in between and probably lots of unappreciated complexity in terms of uh you know uh, filamentous scales and gradational forms between scales and feathers and rugose scales and some of these hadrosaur scales you know they look like kind of like weird little wrinkled mounds with sort of like little fishes on the side and stuff and that's quite a complicated structure that's not just a bland flat plate not that not that people should think of scales like that i mean i think part of the problem with this whole subject is is it's important when you describe scaly skin to our our tendency i feel is to say naked skin describe scaly skin as naked skin but it's not because of course scales are quite a complex thing the scales of um uh, certainly squamates are insanely complicated the situation in dinosaurs, we don't really know that much about it. Bird scales on their feet are really weird, and are they should they even be called scales? I mean, if some of them are like modified feathers, is is now a thing well supported by at least some genetic work? Yeah. So, Darren,
0: um, stop here. Yes, they should still be called scales.
1: <sighs> here we go again. <laughs> <laughs> I hate the word scale because people think that anything called a scale is homologous with a fish scale and i'm not we haven't got a better term so i'm not necessarily look not
0: every term has to be about homology it's ridiculous to make every term about that it's just it's never going to work
1: well i'm not necessarily saying that's the issue i'm saying that what you think when you hear okay what one thinks when one hears the term scale is the tendency is to imagine they're all the same. You know? Hmm. People people who are like, you know, trained in biology or know a lot about fossil animals or whatever, it's not their fault. The tendency is to think that everything called a scale the scales evolved in early vertebrates and scales have persisted all the way up. So when you see scales on a chicken or a monitor lizard, they're the scales that you saw three hundred, four hundred, five whatever million years ago yeah. on fish. And the point is that that masks a huge diversity of structures that are not Scale all... Scales are
0: polyphyletic.
1: Yeah. Okay.
0: There you go. Right. Right. Okay. So we might come back to the soft tissue then. All right? Okay. Mm. Okay, let's Hopefully do there
1: was a lot of content there.
0: Yeah, it was a bit rambly, but there you go. Oh, weird. <laughs> rambly?
1: In an, unchar- in an uncharacteristic move.
0: Yeah. Right, so...
1: Mrs Doyle has baked a jumper into the cake.
0: <laughs> <laughs> nice Father Ted reference for uh-huh. all the Father Ted fans out there. The What's your o- favourite line? Big overlap, I think.
1: Favourite line from Father Ted. What's your favourite line from Father Ted? Oh,
0: man. It, the problem is that there's so many good ones.
1: I don't remember that in the series ever. Mine is... They lie in wait like wolves waiting... No, sorry, I'll start again. (laughs) They lie in wait like wolves. The smell of blood in their nostrils, waiting, interminably waiting. And then he's right, (laughs) Ted.
0: I like the. I probably. I'm going to butcher it because I don't have this photographic memory for dialogue that you seem to have. But what was it? It's got. It's the beast. It's the beast. Is that from it's the bicep? Yeah, but I it's like it. no, it's got. They say it's got no ears, and four arses,
1: <laughs> and it's and it's tail and it's made of magnets. So if you're made of metal, you stick to it, and it's got four arses. And <laughs> yep. we've done that before on the podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. You <feel? laughs> okay, realise? Right. Uh... Okay,
0: yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wonder how easy that is to get hold of in America. Like, uh, would anyone in America have seen this?
1: Yes. Yeah. Do you know how I know this? An interesting story. Yeah. So I used to watch the Graham Norton show. Graham Norton, of course, was in Father Ted. And, uh, there's an episode of the Graham Norton show where Cher is a guest. And, uh, and he says, hello, Cher. And she said, oh, hi. And he says, well, you seem like, you seem to know me. She said, oh yeah, I used to watch you all the time on Father Ted. So there you go. There you go. Proof. Proof. Uh, proof. <laughs> okay. <And> he's like, Why <laughs> <he's> like, "What, <laughs> Cher watching <is> Father Ted? <laughs> well, that was unexpected. <laughs> I okay. expected developments. Oh. She could quote it and everything, She you know, inside out.
0: <laughs> That's funny. All right, good tangent. Okay, let's go on to the next question then. So this is from Michael Gaxiola. I'm going to have to run with that.
1: Mm, it's definitely it's quite, right.
0: It's quite a long question, so bear with me here while I bumble through this. <laughs> People might not have realized this, but I find it very Quickly. difficult to read out loud.
1: Do you want me to do it?
0: (laughs) No, I have to do it, then you have to answer. The other morning, around 3am, I was sitting... (laughs) Hang on, let me get closer to the screen here. (laughs) I was sifting through several photos of... Jar Jar Binks. I'm going to have to turn you off. But (laughs) at the end of my... End of my viewing of these photos, I began to develop an unsettling feeling, one of sadness. I'd become depressed by the idea that such a beautiful tetrapod as Jar Jar could never exist. This made me wonder that he may not currently exist as a real creature, but may one day, maybe one day an organism could evolve to resemble Jar Jar and fill the gaping hole in my heart. Not being an expert on tetrapods, I decided to contact Tetrapods tetrapod to hopefully explain to me how a Gungan-type like creature could someday evolve. So, please help ease my mind. Help me, tetrapod You're my only hope. Oh, yes. <laughs> okay.
1: So... <laughs> And <laughs> the other morning around 3am I was sifting through photos of Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Why? Why?
1: <sighs> do you know who we have to thank for Jar Jar Binks? Um, no. You actually do. Do you know Terrell Whitlack? No. Ah, uh, she's great. <clears throat> well, she invented, Ter- uh, she invented Jar Jar Binks. <sighs> and she likes, she's brilliant, not criticising her. And uh, those of you, <clears throat> excuse me, those of you who know The Wildlife of Star Wars, Terrell's book, uh, will know how good it is. And her other works, including The Katuran Odyssey, Which is about ring-tailed lemurs that go through time and space and see crazy stuff. And uh, I'm trying to find it. Right, there's a book called Wildlife Real and Imagined, which is she's great at doing. um, Yeah, these speculative creatures, which obviously George Lucas really likes. Also, Uh, (coughs) Star Wars creatures. That's a tangent we could do, but we won't. Um, Terrell really likes the whole kind of like the duck-faced kind of long alien, long-faced alien thing. There's a whole there's a whole bunch of uh, creatures she's invented that have that look and uh, the Gungans um, yeah, sort of I sort of imagined that they were possibly she doesn't explain how she came up with a specific design but I get the impression that the that Jar Jar Binks was, I do a good Jar Jar Binks impression by the way, was uh, well, uh, kind that? of <clears throat> <laughs> Hold oh, oh, me up, hold do, don't
0: do.
1: it. I'm pumping the head again. I'm being, wow. He's a Jedi. That's not, that's not a good, imp- not yeah. a good impression. It's not a impression. We shouldn't do it it's racist. Sorry. Oh, don't get there. Uh, hadrosaurs, duck dinosaurs, and possibly ducks. Um, I think she was uh, thinking along those lines. So. Hadrosaurs, I think, are extinct. So could you get a humanoid duck?
0: Wait, 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 wait. Really? Ducks? No. No, 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 no. no. They're clearly amphibians of some
1: sort. Uh, And ducks are renowned for their hatred and dislike of the water. Liss amphibians. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Um...
1: Why are you thinking that? Because they live in those stupid underwater cities.
0: They got the like the, the funny hands, don't they? And the the um, smooth shiny skin. Yeah. Um. And the the eyeballs on stalks like that. I mean, I know, I know, <laughs> I know. Sounds, but it's easier it's easier to is. imagine a frog. You know, mm-hmm. pushing its eyeballs up than a duck.
1: Hmm. Um, okay. What about Talpanus, the platypus duck? Explain that one, huh? What? <laughs> See, I don't know what we're talking about. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, I, yeah, they definitely have the flavour of amphibiousness about them. Um, and and the idea is that uh, that when Gungans reach a certain like size uh, and uh, accordingly status, they become huge and fat. Boss Nass, voiced by Brian Blessed. Is um, I do I do a Brian Blessed impression. I told you You just did. <laughs> Will I be allowed to shout? Uh, oh, a bunch of friends, some of my friends, hung out with Brian Blessed. Good stories they had. Um, Brian Blessed, you know, he's like really, he's is he does mountaineering for fun and sort of really believes in Yetis quite strongly. That's funny. Um, yeah. yeah. Good. Um. Yeah, Boss Nass, uh-huh. the big. Like the boss of the Gungans that we see in the Phantom Menace,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, he, he's a giant fat bullfrog. Yeah, which is kind of in keeping with that. So, okay, yeah, and they're tailless, or do they? No, they have short tails. They have short tails. So giant humanoid duck faced anurans. That's what you have to happen. Uh. That's happen. Michael.
0: Mm. Bipedal.
1: Yeah, why not?
0: Well, yeah, fair enough. I've seen
1: the frog prince. I know frogs can be bipedal. Because
0: the problem with um, Star Wars is it's not really sci-fi.
1: It's not, that's right.
0: And so it doesn't fit in our universe at all. Mm. Um, So, yeah, you can't really say anything about... Intelligent about the relationship of Star Wars I think, creatures to yeah,
1: yeah. Us. And there, therein lies one of the most interesting criticisms of the okay. The, so the, the Star Wars universe, as imagined by different sets of people, whoever's been in charge of it at the time, uh, has um, it's, it's obviously paralleled our own in terms of technology and obviously the prevalence of humans, of course. But the look of the other, the non-humans. Is very much influenced by what sort of universe they want to go for. So, the the universe as as imagined by George Lucas is populated by reptiles, birds, and mammals and amphibians. Basically, everything everything is a, is a tetrapod. It's a para tetrapod, right? There aren't there aren't really any aliens, mm. really any alien body plans or something. Okay, yes, there are in the expanded Star Wars universe, but we know how much John loves canon, so let's not go there. But you know what I mean. Everything, all of Terra Whitlack's creatures pretty much in the wildlife of star wars they are all reptiles mammals birds with one or two exceptions like the sarlacc pit which is meant to be something uh yeah like yeah. something that doesn't body do plan we don't recognize but um <clears throat> and the best
0: um that's the that's the big sand thing isn't it is yes talking about yeah <sighs> i think that's the best uh best thing in the original ones even yeah, what? and of course, uh, I mean, like all these things, a lot Pre-special of it is… Pre-special
1: edition or post-special edition? Pre, actually. Okay.
0: I don't like the newer version.
1: Because the, the new one has got like a stupid yeah, CG beak in it. Yeah, stupid. And it, yeah. yeah. Think it, it was much less
0: scary mm. and felt less alien. It felt like a sand squid or something. I don't know. Um, yeah. Uh, of course, a lot of these things are tremendously constrained by basically you have to put people in suits, Right. No, the originals Are almost utterly constrained by this It's interesting that they Continued that in the In the ones, even when you've got a Completely CG character, they just Basically make them humans with a funny head Yeah I mean, <laughs> Why? Couldn't you give them Like four legs to touch the ground or something I don't know, like, it just seems Unnecessarily boring
1: uh, but there, so Star Wars characters, yeah. yep, so there we go, Jar, Jar binks, amphibians, frogs, maybe, all right, that's enough time- that's enough time on that, thank you for your question, Michael. we okay. move on,
0: okay, so we're gonna we're gonna okay, we'll do another cash for question, then we'll go on to the news from world of news, right, so let me find the cash for questions again, okay, so. What is known about the evolution of eyes in dinosaurs? Were they fishy-eyed? Could the, the T-Rex uh, had eyes like a chameleon? How about coloration ranges? So, what do you know about this?
1: Well, <clears throat> uh, okay, so the, the, the predictable, tedious answer, and what do we know about the eyes of dinosaurs is, well, <laughs> For starters, obviously we know they had them And we even have them preserved In some of the animals Some of the, like, the lioning uh, th- uh, Theropods the, uh, Eyes, the preservation of eyes Is kind of weird because of that uh, Massive field of um, pigment Melanin at the back of the uh, eye You uh, do tend to see eyes As like a black uh, circular structures <clears throat> So they're actually known um, But in terms of Anything else that you would like to say About them uh, oh, and sorry, uh, one other thing. Um, what we know about brain anatomy of non-bird dinosaurs, so information we've got from endocasts, from what our understanding, the size of the optic nerve and so on, uh, all of that is in keeping with the idea that all dinosaurs, so far as we can tell, all non-bird dinosaurs had very good eyesight. The I have a bit of a bugbear about when people talk about dinosaurs having poor eyesight. There was a huge Twitter exchange happened a couple of weeks ago about uh, the book Michael Crichton's, uh, Jurassic Park book because in that all the dinosaurs are described as having poor eyesight like they can only see things when they move or their eyesight is poor just because it just because they're like rhinos uh, <laughs> yeah, dot 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 um, <clears throat> and all the evidence is against that so even the dinosaurs that stereotypically are regarded as having poor eyesight namely like big ceratopsians and ankylosaurs no evidence from their brains and the size of their orbits indicates their eyeballs were really large and their The parts of their brains devoted to processing information from the eyes were were big. So everything indicates their eyesight was pretty good. And the stereotypes, the idea that if you're like a rhino, you should have poor eyesight like a rhino because a rhino's got poor eyesight is also probably rubbish. Uh, The studies that have been done of rhino eyeballs and rhino's ability to see rhinos actually have pretty good eyesight, supposedly about on par with that of say a rabbit. And when was the last time you heard someone look at a rabbit and say, ha, look at that stupid rabbit in its rubbish, little poor eyesight. No. Yeah. So uh, okay. I think Tan- part of
0: part of the um the reason people might buy that is because their eyeballs look small. Uh, rhinos and um a lot of dinosaurs, their eyeballs look small in comparison to their bodies, but you've got to remember that so. their absolute size in eyes matters. And so A big a big dinosaur has big eyes.
1: Yeah. Even if they look small in its head. Yeah, the the biggest dinosaurs, so anything from like say a tyrannosaurus upwards, they would have had we can say this based on what we know about the sclerotic ring in the dinosaurs that have them, not all of them do, and the size of the orbit, the bony eye socket itself we can say that their eyeballs were huge and they were the biggest eyeballs of anything apart from ichthyosaurs and giant squid so the eyeball of like uh, Tyrannosaurus rex and a a giant sauropod and some of the other really big dinosaurs, the eyeballs would have been about 15 centimeters in diameter which is, that think of an eyeball that size in your hand, that's huge and it then doesn't matter if you're one ton or 100 tons an eyeball that size is like a brilliant device it's like there's no need for it to be like better because you you can't collect any more light in the terrestrial environment with a bigger eyeball so Um, We assume that what was true of what what is true of the eyes and visual abilities of living reptiles. So again, that's squamates, crocodilians and birds. We assume that the things that are true for those animals are true for extinct dinosaurs. So visual acuity was high. The number of like, you know, cells in the eyeball was really high. The um, ability to discern movement and color and acuity was probably really high again in keeping with with brain anatomy and so on um all the animals that bracket extinct dinosaurs in the family tree have good color vision and uh, at least some of them uh, some pr- probably some lizards and at least some birds can see into the ultraviolet part of the spectrum so it's at least possible that that was true for some dinosaurs and also uh, at least some, uh, I think I'm remembering this right, I think there's at least some squamates, and there's definitely some birds that can see polarised light as well, which also would have been true of non-bird dinosaurs. And please don't ask me to explain polarised light, because I've tried and I just can't. Um, <clears throat> can you, by the way, no, explain polarised light? No, physics. Okay. Yeah, Yeah. I know there's a thing called polarized light and <laughs> that we can't see it uh, some mammals can some bats can see it but um so so basically oh uh, yeah
0: yeah okay I wouldn't even go that
1: far uh, sorry as far as what
0: that there's a thing called polarized light oh uh, you that know that what some I mean. things can yeah exactly so yeah, the there's probably s- a mistake in there
1: in the loosest
0: sense I think all of light is s- polarized but you can anyway Yep. Okay. okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah let yeah. stop butchering this. No one write in because we don't care.
1: <clears throat> I kind of, w- I would like to have a handy <laughs> definition of exactly how I can describe polarized light because, of course, I've read your Wikipedia articles and that sort of stuff, and I and I tr- can't. Often the Wikipedia clever.
0: articles are absolutely terrible for this because they're written mm-hmm. by um, you know physics undergrads who are trying to show off how much they know rather than actually trying to explain it to.
1: People. Okay. So as a as a generalization. We can say we can say dinosaurs universally have large eyes and the evidence from their brains is that their ability to process images was good. We can say they almost certainly would have seen in color. Uh, We can say that their uh, their ability to discern movement and detail and, and so on was good based on their living relatives. And we can say it's at least possible they could have seen polarized light and could have seen into the ultraviolet part of the spectrum. And I kind of think that sort of wraps it up. There's yeah. oh, there's a few other. Th- Sorry, no, there's
0: more. Oh yeah. Oh, you you a few other things we're going to
1: say. I was going to say there's a few specific things we can say like about. Um, so, to so those of you who don't know, most of you will. There's a structure called the sclerotic ring yeah. embedded within the outer tissues of the vertebrate eye. Quite typical for vertebrates, been lost many, many, many times. But the sclerotic ring is like a typical feature, and it's present in probably nearly all, but not all. Uh, non-bird dinosaurs the sclerotic ring gives you some information on eyeball size and shape shape obviously they're pretty much all the same shape but Mm. also gives you Mm. okay hold on hold on let me say this and then you take pick Mm. on that um the sclerotic ring also also gives you are you thinking about tubular eyes like uh, owls and stuff um there's also some indication of what pupil Uh, size and shape was like of course the pupil isn't kind of really a distinct structure it's just the opening in the eye that allows you to see through to the retina but um, um yeah the the sclerotic ring can give you some indication of um pupil diameter and uh there's some interesting stuff that could be said about pupil size and we don't know anything about the lenses of dinosaur eyes. That's also an interesting subject. But I'll stop there because...
0: Yeah, so I did actually, a typical style, I can't remember the papers, can't remember who authored them, can't remember their exact conclusions. But you can actually, there might be a lot more um, information in sclerotic rings than we have generally thought.
1: Oh, yeah, the paper by Matania et al., Okay. On uh, noct- nocturnality versus diurnality.
0: Yeah. Now there might be problems with that specific paper. I'm sure there is. I mean, it was a first pass, as far as I can make it out. So, there's
1: two, two or three papers have been done on this. Yeah. Linking sclerotic ring size and shape with when in what you call the day when it's including the night as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is it crepuscular? Well, crepuscular is it's active diurnal, during like,
0: nocturnal. Yeah, diurnal. Nocturnal,
1: yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well. Yeah. All uh, those things. Yeah. Okay. So. So the light conditions in which animals. Are, plus, of course, you can also be diactive but live in a cave, yeah. or look into. Bur- or live in burrows or whatever. So. Um. Yeah. There's some research been done on what sclerotic ring size and shape might tell you about the light levels that animals were adapted for. Uh, but there's contradictory results on this. Yeah. So there've been a few suggestions. So did you want to take this further? Did you want to say anything else?
0: Uh well, I've got a couple of points, but you you probably summarize what they've actually said a lot better than I can.
1: So go I ahead. talk I talk more than you, so you say some no, stuff you No, know, you No,
0: know, because I can't remember. You, you, you <coughs> summarise as best you can remember.
1: Okay, so there have been some suggestions based on what look like particularly big sclerotic rings in some dinosaurs, and in particular Microraptor, the Dromiosaur, and Protoceratops, Ceratopsian. It's been said that their sclerotic rings are big enough to indicate these animals were probably active during low light levels. So dusk and dawn and maybe at nighttime as well. And uh, there's a paper by Nick Longrich where he looked at this specifically pertaining to protoceratops. And he did conclude that the scrotal ring in protoceratops is unusually big indicating this animal probably was active during low light levels. And this is paper by Matani and one or two, uh, Rioski Matani is best known for his work on ichthyosaurs. But, Uh, and maybe one or two authors, sorry, I can't remember their names, but um, they said that there's evidence from sclerotic rings of some dinosaurs and some pterosaurs too. In particular, I think I remember Scaphanathus being mentioned. They said that evidence there for um, eyes being active in low light as well. They didn't, that study, the Mitanni one, didn't support what Longwich said about protoceratops, however. Then, Um, The idea that microraptor might be active during low light levels, that it might be what's called scotopic or crepuscular, that it might be active during night, dusk and dawn, that does now seem to be contradicted by the evidence from melanosomes showing that microraptor had iridescent plumage, because everything in the modern world with iridescent plumage is day active. It seems weird to imagine that you'd be night active and have iridescent plumage. Maybe, I don't know, you know, not 100%, this isn't, like, case closed on this, but... um, that's the work that's been done so far on that issue.
0: Yeah, so my reading of these papers, um, and I think I've read two but not the third, um, is that it's difficult to account, and they haven't accounted for the tilt of the ring, right? So the way they're preserved is just flattened. Each little segment is just flattened against the plane of the um, the fossil. And that in birds, of course... They tilt, right? They can they can be almost, um, what's the word? Standing on edge as you look at the eye. And oh right, yeah, yep. Yeah, and um, they can be almost flat as you look at the eye,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: it's very difficult in fossils to tell what angle they should be at, and the angle might actually be the crucial thing rather than the actual size of the plates.
1: Ah, interesting. So, Can you remember where you heard that? I haven't ever seen that written down. Uh, no. Okay, that's I'm, really a gr- I'm
0: a great researcher. Yeah, yeah. I really keep track of where I get all my ideas. Yeah. Anyway, so I think that's a. I think it might be acknowledged in one of the papers that this isn't. Mm. This is an issue that they can't reconstruct this properly. Um. And so, you know, this might actually be the crucial thing that tells us about what the eye is doing in many ways. And certainly in modern birds, we know this is, this is crucial. Imagine you get an owl and it's just all flattened out. What does it tell you? You know, Mm. you've got tubular eyes, but flattened out. It looks like it's got enormous flattened. And you imagine all the intermediates between those, right? So in owls, you'd probably realize something weird is going on because all the things would just scatter everywhere and it wouldn't make a nice ring. But if you imagine all the intermediates, then you realize that there's a bit of a problem here in that, on the way to specialized eyes um, for this sort of thing that are presumably functionally different, then you're going to end up with you're going to end up with the wrong sized um, hole in the middle right, and all this stuff you know so it's yeah it's it's problematic and if we That's if we could find a way of reconstructing what the tilt was reliably mm. then it might we might be able to um learn a lot more about the function of eyes as well as also the things like how big the opening was and how big the actual eyeball is and stuff like that. Because at the moment we're probably overestimating the size somewhat because you imagine if they get flattened, then the edges might go outwards a little bit and the inside could go in. So we're overestimating the overall size and underestimating the um the hole in the middle, so where your iris and pupil go, would be underestimating a lot of animals because as the plates collapse, they make the hole smaller.
1: As you might imagine.
0: I probably haven't read this anywhere. I've just thought of it. But I can't see how it would be incorrect. Uh, We know that plates tilt inverts, right?
1: There's scarcely any papers on the detailed anatomy of sclerotic rings and sclerotic plates for those of you who don't know this the sclerotic ring is formed of I think it's normally something like 30 to 40 individual plates and the plates aren't just floating in the eyeball they have complicated like wiggly suture lines and they are actually locked together so in a if you dissect an eyeball or in a decomposing corpse you can actually remove the whole sclerotic ring and it will remain intact I think what you what you've said I think is there's definitely some validity to it so especially if especially if the sclerotic rings are somewhat deformed, they've been squished during preservation, which, of course, virtually always happens with fossils. In exceptional cases like owls, though, where the sclerotic plates are concave on their outer surfaces because they form this turret-like tube, they're so weird. Their shape is so weird. They've got, like, raised rims on their uh medial and lateral margins yeah you you would you would know there was something weird going on but i do take the point that you wouldn't get that in a lot of other animals where there was like 60 percent of the degree of weirdness that there is in owl eyes so uh that's interesting yeah yeah there's literally so we might be
0: able to tell quite a lot about eyes if we could figure this out
1: yeah. But, yeah well maybe that's the next step maybe you know so you know we're very early stages obviously in things like 3d modeling and ct scanning with fossils mm. so i can well see someone getting onto a, into a project where they do this like models model uh, and reconstruct sporadic rings as they would have been in,
0: in yeah there's probably even some that are preserved <laughs> in matrix right in without being deformed
1: there definitely are yeah so yeah. so like i say there's like two papers on this not and not including those two the longwich and the montani ones there's like one or two others that talk about the sclerotic ring and what it might mean for, there's stuff we could say about pupil shape as well um in general we think that um uh in general we think that dinosaurs had circular pupils because that is it seems the normal condition in birds yeah it's also widespread in um, uh, lapidosaurs, it's the normal condition in in, in lizards and snakes and relatives. And, but crocodilians tend to have a slit-shaped pupil, and some birds have a slit-shaped pupil. Skimmers do, which shows that it can evolve in birds. Therefore, there's no reason why it couldn't evolve in other dinosaur groups too. And there's even birds with square pupils. The king penguin or the emperor penguin—I can't remember which one now. I think the king I'm going to say king penguin. Uh, the pupil closes to a a small square so basically those facts show that there is the possibility for novelty in pupil shape there's no real good reason why they why they couldn't be and then the thing that's artists have often wondered about is would you have had horizontal bar like pupils in say herbivorous dinosaurs um bear in mind many herbivorous dinosaurs that people often restore are not living on open plains like many of the mammals that have pupils of that kind, nor is it a thing that's limited to herbivores because there are some carnivorous mammals, for example some mongooses that have got horizontal pupils also it seems to be something to do with uh, I'm going to really fumble at explaining this so let's see if this works imagine you've got a pupil it's a horizontal bar and you've got your head down um I just can't I can't explain this. It's like the pupil can stay It's like you even if you move the head a lot the pupil can s- stay with this I, no, I can't explain it at all. No. I need No. Okay. I, I, do you see what I'm trying to demonstrate? You don't have here? to
0: cover your pupil with the top of your eye to you can keep the more of the pupil's surface area um exposed even moving your Eyes up and down.
1: Right. There was a paper on this last year, and it explained it as saying that basically, imagine. Okay, I've got my head down and my mouth on the ground, but my pupils are in this fixed position, parallel to the horizon. But as I lift my head, and and then I can use my nose and ears better as well. Maybe um, the pupils kind of stay in the same band. I like. Let let me get back to that because I need to explain that. Better. i yeah. don't understand it well enough what i'm trying to say but um so but we generally don't think that dinosaurs had that non-bird dinosaurs had that kind of that people even though occasionally they've been reconstructed with pupils of that kind because um well they're not living in those like open plain like environments well, surely something, some, some, something. That. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's the stuff. thing
0: i mean yeah probably some um, and I think there w- was there a paper last uh, while back about slip pupils being useful for um, being close to the ground like there 's something about um, and possibly glare, which is why skimmers have it and crocs have it um, mm. and small cats but not big cats.
1: The normal explanation for a slip pupil is that and again this is this sounds like a just so story it 's not convincing but it it so- 's normally said that it allows the minimum amount of the pupil to be open during bright light and the maximum amount to be open during low light. So it's yeah. better for animals active in times of intense light and darkness. But again, why is that better than another kind of pupil? I don't. That's the, the thing I don't quite...
0: Yeah, well, this paper I read, it was about glare reduction um,
1: mm.
0: close to the ground. <laughs> uh, which is also where you get it in lizards, crocs, small cats, but not big cats, um, and skimmers, but not other birds, because skimmers are close to the water right? when they're yeah. skimming. Um, mm, mm. I think it's not a complete. It's probably not a complete explanation, but sounds like there might be something think, in of, it. think of. And I didn't Some understand the optics of it. Optics is incredibly complicated.
1: Yeah. I don't understand. So I think that's um, one other thing. Uh, Concept drawing and design, if that is their real name, they also ask, could the T-Rex have had eyes like a chameleon? And uh, there, now that's an interesting one, like a chameleon in the sense of like out on those big bulging turrets. No, I think we would probably see evidence for that. (sighs) <sighs> we often don't have sclerotic rings for tyrannosaurs most tyrannosaurs lack sclerotic rings so there's basically no reason to think that that they would have those weird bulging eyes that chameleons have even though I've just realised I don't think there's any osteological correlates for the bulging eyes of chameleons at all I yeah. can't remember what their sclerotic rings are like but, but independent movement of eyes however is a typical feature of birds and squamates as well I don't know about crocodilians but, um, yeah, resist the urge to Google. Do crocodile Do crocodilians move their eyes independently? Because lizards do, and most birds do. Not all birds can move their eyeballs. But, um, yeah, independent movement of eyes is actually, believe it or not, this is weird to us because we're mammals with pretty weird eyes. But, um, yeah, it's normal. So I think it should be predicted for dinosaurs, for non-bird dinosaurs, sorry. So independent movement, but not I'm not saying like a chameleon with a giant swiveling bulgy out turrets,
0: yeah I mean certainly Tyrannosaurus um, it seems to have evolved like specifically for binocular vision and a lot of round its eyes it's got lots of bosses and things which suggests it's trying to protect its eyes rather than you know puts them out on stalks. What are all those bosses and things doing there hmm. You know, it's a pretty weak argument, I guess, but it does seem odd to embed your eye in something that's quite concave and then stick it out on a stalk.
1: Yeah, they're not. They're not. They're not doing that. They're clearly not doing that. Yeah. <laughs> that's just stupid. <laughs> that's, that's Michael Crichton's stupid.
0: Although I wouldn't rule it out for all theropods, huh? Or dinosaurs, actually. You know. Well, well, yeah, well yeah, I don't know uh, because I which know,
1: animals? Either. Which animals have eyes like that? And apart from chameleons, there's some like weird fish. And that's probably it. I mean, frog eyes are completely different. Again, frogs doing a whole different thing. But it well, yeah, there's no reason doesn't it correlate with the specific lifestyle, specific ecology of chameleons? Yeah. So you might you predict it in a chameleon-like fossil animal. For example, it's been suggested that megalancosaurs, drapanosaurs, whatever you want to call them, those Triassic. Possibly climbing things. Uh, the, it's been suggested they might have been chameleon-like in some respects, but no theropod that we know of is built like that. Not for this kind of like slow stalking, uh, needing to pinpoint prey before. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know. And
0: also a relatively inflexible neck. I mean, most dinosaurs have a, a flexible neck that they they can whip their head around to see. Right? They don't. They don't need to have stork eyes to switch their vision. Yeah. Yeah, it seems overkill to have stork eyes and those necks.
1: And grabby hands as well, in at least some of them.
0: Okay, so it, it doesn't seem impossible, right? And there's, as you say, osteological correlates we probably wouldn't know for a lot of dinosaurs, but it doesn't seem likely. There's no reason to think it would happen. right? I guess mm-hmm. that's what we can say. Okay, so, so there you go. thanks, so Concept Drawing and Design, if that is your real name.
1: Tightly answered. So we discussed uh, in previous episodes what uh, how things are going with Tet Zoo Con and how year on year they've gotten bigger and bigger. Well, we've outgrown, as we probably said last time, we've outgrown um, the... London Wetland Centre, and we've, for 2017, we've got a date, we've got a venue, would you believe we've also got a pretty much fully confirmed lineup of speakers? Yep. I don't want to give any surprises away, apart from say that uh, thylacines might be involved and speculative zoology, conservation, etc., cetera, et cetera. Um, So we're going for, oh God, the love of Christ, uh, 21st of October? Oh, God. I don't know. You're as bad as me. No, you're not. You're much worse than I am. But just go to the Facebook page.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Facebook knows
1: all. (laughs) Uh, What? This is so weird. I've just put in Tet Zook on and it hasn't taken me to the page. Take me to the page. Looking at a message. 21st
0: of October.
1: So it is a Saturday. Is. Yep. Saturday, 21st of October 2017. Write it down now. Come to Tetzoocon. If you're listening to this there's no excuse.
0: <laughs> well, there might be some excuses. Of course. But if you live in England there's no excuse except for the trains.
1: Yeah. There's no excuse except for the cost <laughs> involved in travelling about yeah. the country and or inept public services <laughs> and it's in i'm afraid it's in central london i know that stinks if you don't live in london but it's frankly where all the people are sorry um at- well hang
0: on hang on it stinks less
1: than just about anywhere else which is like- <laughs> <laughs> if you don't, i know if you don't live in london you have these people saying oh, it should be in bristol or oh, it should be at land's end yeah, right. which is
0: great if you live in bristol or yeah. but if you live anywhere else in the country then that's that's worse than london which is why we keep settling on London, apart from the fact that I also live here, so it's a lot more easy for me to scout venues and move stuff there on the morning and all that sort of stuff.
1: And you are the most important person involved, and also very lazy.
0: we have asked about Southampton, but it got no votes, didn't it? Uh,
1: Southampton, yeah, there's there's nowhere that could run it in Southampton. Yeah. Uh, Southampton's where I live, for those of you who don't know. The venue is called The Venue and it's yeah. part of a complex a kind of conference suite that belongs to uh is it like london university or something but it's it's
0: university it's, college london
1: okay so it's in mallet street m-a-l-e-t mm. central london so the venue mallet street central london it's a good venue i've been to a conference there many years ago before Ah, mm. a good time. Um,
0: no, I'm called Darren's anecdotes, oh, yeah. God, that's great.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, so there we go. So I think that's all we need to say about that right now, right? Yeah. But, uh, it's coming along, and uh, for, for updates, watch hashtag TetsuCon on Twitter, and there is a Facebook page as well where we post updates. So last year's TetsuCon, was it something like 80 people? So we... Yeah, something like yeah, that. Yeah, and we've increased approximately a third of part you know a new third every year so we really need to be well we expect to be getting over 100 people and um we if you can help with advertising let us know we do sort of play, we're thinking about advertising in like magazines and stuff uh you know getting the word out because we need to like attract some new kind of clientele we've got obviously this like core audience who are great and pretty reliable but we need to have like you know somehow yeah.
0: Yeah, there are people out there that would enjoy it that don't
1: know about it. Right? Yeah. So, yeah. So, to- uh, yeah. I've looked into advertising in BBC Wildlife. That's a complete non-starter, I'm afraid. I'm also planning to... I've tried forty times because, obviously, the cryptosority stuff is of interest to people that read that, but they don't seem to be interested in advertising. And uh, International Zoo News, I'm going for that, and Mabel Society Newsletter, I think, and a couple of other things. But, um, yeah, if you can help, let us know. So, that's coming together and it will come together as the months go by um i met dinosaurs in the wild i can now start talking about this so for most of my 2016 was taken up with a project called dinosaurs in the wild which um is going to be a uk a traveling uk exhibition slash installation which involves uh, basically it comes off the back of the whole walking with dinosaurs thing but don't worry it's actually good and um the Walking with dinosaurs the movie oh my god have you seen that have you seen that yet no mm. um this is a thing that involves like there will be interactives like uh like you know robots and models and stuff hopefully pretty good ones and it also will involve a cg component basically you'll be looking at what you th- at what should look like live dinosaurs and okay i'll say this now and i'm sure i'll say it again later as always th- w- the more people get involved Things never ever ever turn out exactly how you might like if you've been involved in the creative process. But never work with other people. Dave. Never work with other people. Good advice. But I would I would say that things are roughly looking pretty good in terms of how you expect dinosaurs, pterosaurs, etc. to look. There are pterosaurs in it also. So um, and this is a traveling thing. It starts out in Birmingham. Uh, then goes to manchester and then goes all over the country um so um yeah dinosaurs in the wild um yeah and i could say loads more about it and tons and tons and tons of work of work has gone into it. it keeps me busy permanently at the moment so um well that's good though right yeah um, and it's looking and it's looking
0: all right. That's good because most of these projects you get involved in, and then I don't mean you in particular, but just generally, and you end up profoundly disappointed by the result and never speak of it again.
1: I, I I might be allowed to say, I might not be allowed to say, but I might be allowed to say that um, some of the some of the companies that I've worked with have previously done stuff where I'm not going to say anything negative, but they've previously done stuff where the dinosaurs have looked like, as you'd imagine, dinosaurs generally look in the media these days, as in like, <gasps> <rah! laughs> for, the, for the, for the benefit of listeners, I just roared into the camera there uh, yeah. and they did. There wasn't just, enough uh, spit. Down. Sorry. I was spit spittle something. and slobber. But they yeah. did, There was a lot of that kind of stuff, but, um, I do seem to have, uh, I, I hope I've turned it around and that, uh, this is the thing I did the other day. Can you see that? Uh, Hang see? on, hang on, hang on. Yeah, so I can't see yeah. I can't see what my what my own mm-hmm. camera's seeing. Oh, yes I can. Mm. There, there see Yeah. I did so a- it's a little sauropod being I uh, don't say anymore, don't say anymore, don't say anymore, don't say okay. anymore. Yeah. It's a whole like I did it as a whole poster of those things because I've okay. had to do all the interactive. So, you know, just, um, now I've also written down on the schedule here N F W O N which I've just realized stands for News <laughs> from the World of News.
0: <laughs> Okay, so what's news from the world of news? Um, okay, well, what's got, new in the world of news, I should say.
1: Okay, there's four papers I want to. Two minute rule. All right. Number one uh-huh. dinosaur tail in amber.
0: Oh, yeah, 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 that's pretty uh, cool. You, isn't
1: you, it? Go on, you say something about that.
0: Well, this is some. Get this right. There's some amber, yeah. There's some amber, yeah. And it's got a dinosaur tail <laughs> in it.
1: That reminds me of the time. I fell overboard and was almost eaten by a hammerhead shark. Have I ever told you that story? No. Well, I fell overboard and I was attacked by a shark. And the funny thing was, its head was shaped exactly like a hammer. Um, So this dinosaur tail is tiny, isn't it? It's like... Yeah,
0: it's really little. I think it's 3.4 centimetres long or something. Yeah. Yeah. So... Uh, Don't quote me on that. But yeah, it's it's small.
1: So the the question is then, because dinosaurs they didn't have detachable tails they don't have the specializations associated with the caudal autotomy you know lizards and oh, okay. other animals attached, attached to the tail so as far as we know well we don't have evidence for it okay yeah as far as we know <laughs> we don't have evidence for it because you do actually see, you do actually see special bony fracture planes in the animals that can yeah, do um yeah. so is it that the, there was a whole dinosaur a small animal would be less than 30 centimeters long as the whole animal in amber and then that's the only bit preserved or it got cut up into slices Because as always, the amber comes from the, um, doesn't it come from like the jewellery trade? Mm -hmm. I think that's right. And virtually all of these animals that have recently been discovered in amber, most of it comes from Myanmar or Burma, whichever name you're supposed to use for that country. Um, Most of them were originally, um, yeah, they were being cut up into like pendants and necklaces and things. And then, then someone realized, oh, that's not an angel's wing. That's actually a fossil bird's wing, you know. So I don't know if that's the case here. Or is it that the tail actually did get detached and the rest of the animal, I don't know, is... I I don't know. I really don't know. So it's a little fuzzy... Well, it seems
0: possible that for some reason that it was lying in a place where amber could drip on it. The amber only got on its tail. The rest of it was taken by, you know, predators or just rotted away. There's there's many ways that this could happen, right?
1: I'd always assumed that it was, uh, yeah, on a... Because yeah, of where you normally see resin, you see it oozing out of trees, but of course you get it in pools in the ground as well. So, um,
0: but it could be on a tree, but it could be in a nook of a branch, or you know, anywhere an animal could, could conceivably die and, mm. and stay there, or in the you know near the roots or whatever. Yeah, I don't know.
1: Um, so yeah, it's an it's there's a few bony features indicating that it's a non-bird theropod, but it's covered in like bristle-like feathers and. Uh, Aren't they simple but with like little barbs on them or like tufts coming off them or something like that? Yeah, so, um,
0: more, yeah, I can't remember what stage they are. They're more advanced than well, they're not just bristles, they've got the branching feathers,
1: so, yeah, but they're not veined, yeah. they're nothing like veined feathers, like with the distinct central quill and two flattened veins on either side. I'm pretty sure that's right.
0: They d- I thought they did have the central quill, they have the um the branches off them, but they don't have the interlocking
1: barbules,
0: barbules. So they look more like, like, um, yeah, sort of loose feathers rather than, right. Contour Yeah. So all that's of, my memory.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I haven't even read the paper. I've skimmed it. Uh, and all I've written down is Dino Tail, so I've got no details there. Um, there's a, a. So that's paper number one. Paper number two, it's in PRJ, so it's open access. It's by Jazanowski and Abdallah And it's on early Triassic assemblages of stem mammals from South Africa, assemblages of Gallosaurus and Thrinaxodon. Now, for years and years and years, people have. Uh, said that there are these uh, assemblages of these two furry, like near mammal, non-mammals, uh, non-mammalian synodonts, stem mammals, Gallosaurus and Theronaxon. They've said that there's babies preserved with adults. So it's evidence for social behavior and parental care and so on. But um, this paper describes several assemblages of this kind. I think something like, again, done in the paper in front of me, but something like six for both taxon, uh, consisting of tiny juveniles with adults, but also... Um, Uh, like mid-sized juveniles of different sizes that are preserved together as well. So enough for you to show that there's parental care with babies living with adults, but also there are these mixed age classes. Who knows what the deal is there, whether they're related or or what, but, um, but yeah, good evidence for social behavior in these triassic stem mammals. So that's quite cool. Uh Um, Erickson et al. published a paper in Science on incubation rates in dinosaurs, and this was widely reported by the media, and they looked at – I think they looked at tooth incremental growth lines, possibly these these, these things called von Ebner lines, I can't remember now, in um, – uh, the teeth of developing baby dinosaurs and they showed that the teeth of these baby dinosaurs grew really quite slowly and they conclude that incubation times in the dinosaurs they looked at were surprisingly long, like incubation times the the, the babies, are de- the eggs are developing in the nest, pre-hatching, for three to six months six oh. months is crazy three months however is not crazy and three months is because the media spin on this is dinosaurs develop super slowly, and this has all kinds of implications on why dinosaurs might become extinct and how we should imagine dinosaurs in general. There is actually one paragraph in the paper which does touch on this. It says slow incubation rates could mean that they're bad at recovering from, you know, traumatic environmental impacts. But caveats: six months is long. It's so a stupid amount of time. To, it's, it's that's like you know, squamate-like, right? Like slow developing lizards and snakes but three months is not ridiculous three months is within the boundary of like really big birds for example and and the caveat here is it's only based on two dinosaurs it's only based on i think protoceratops and hadrosaur Uh so while those taxa or the clade including those taxa might have developed comparatively slowly this doesn't include data from numerous other dinosaur groups most notably theropods and bird-like theropods so i slightly object to the fact that we've seen lots of stories saying oh dinosaurs developed super slowly because it's like well some dinosaurs seemingly developed quite slowly first of all it's not definitely super slowly secondly it's not based on like a hundred species it's based on two
0: yeah and also i don't like the reaching for um which is sort of like the shiny object the uh you know, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So the this, extinction.
0: Right. Ooh, it's so, got something of it. explain this
1: explains why crocodilians died out. It explains why snakes and lizards yeah. Didn't yeah. make it across the tri- exactly. <laughs> I mean, the Cret- just, in Cretaceous boundary. <clears throat> yeah. I,
0: I think it's better to resist oh. the urge to relate. Is that on your
1: <laughs> drat? I mean, oh, God, idiots Just thrown <laughs> the drink everywhere.
0: Oh no, the rum.
1: It's not rum.
0: It <laughs> looks like rum, or is it the vodka?
1: It's vodka. Um, right. Hold on, I um, need to mop that up. Uh, so, okay, paper number one, two, four. <laughs> uh, I don't know, I haven't been counting. How many living bird species are there? Do you know? Um, I thought there was around 10,000. Good answer. Now... Many, 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 many of those, many of those species are polytypic, which means that they consist of numerous subpopulations conventionally regarded as subspecies. But of course, you look into the literature on any group, people will say, oh, some of these subspecies are, why are they just subspecies? Because they're as different from that subspecies as that other species is from this whole species. Basically a lot of these things called, it's it's a Christ, it's a mess. Okay. Some of them are definitely nested subsets, but others are like, well, it's distinct enough for you to get as a species, for you to class it as a species. Some of them aren't even, some of them aren't even close relatives. They go all over the place on the tree. Now, devil's advocate here i'm not saying that i think this is necessarily the way to go because i don't really know what i think i don't really have a firm opinion on this one but um it does tie into that whole mess of what is a species but if you apply the phylogenetic species concept and you say that does this population have a set of diagnostic characters is it massive air quotes distinct enough from other populations to be a air quotes species then we have the situation where there's not one Chiff Chaff, there's 15, there's not one Pied wagtail. there's 23, etc, etc. Now, this new study, it's in PLOS One, it's by Barraclough et al., how many kinds of birds are there? Um, those of you who know the literature on phylogenetic... Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Barraclough, Joel Cratecraft, Clicker, Robert Zink, these people have all been saying for years that if we apply the phylogenetic species concept that... Mm, current systematics don't reflect actual diversity uh, Robert Zink published articles in the 90s saying that the actual number of air quotes real air quotes species air uh. quotes should <laughs> air quotes, actually be air quotes probably twice as much as the currently accepted um, general thinking they've got that's what they've said in this paper they said that if we actually apply this rigorously with some like specific definitions of what they think are ecoat species air quotes is then um they say in this paper not 10,000 living birds 15 to 20,000 20,000 oh. living birds oh. so as you can imagine the politicians are scrabbling all over this and revising all of those endangered species plans and making sure that all those populations are properly protected so baraclough et al plus 1
0: that um yes obviously we need a better way of measuring diversity than species because no one can agree on this it's all over the place um this isn't the way to go people
1: however they are okay so there's so there's a hundred different at least a hundred different definitions of what a species is right, right. but this is a paper where they're specifically saying we are going with that definition. And if we do go with that definition, what happens? That's what they're saying. So they're not necessarily, okay. I, I, someone might, yeah, yeah. someone might find a line in the paper that proved this categorically wrong. But so far as I can tell, they're saying that if we run with this, what would the conclusion be? And this is the conclusion. They're not necessarily, again, yeah. I could be wrong. My, my thinking is they're not necessarily saying this is the way it is. They're saying, if we apply this, what is the result? And, uh, yeah. And I think on that on that case, I think that they're right. I mean, you don't look at you, unless you want to be the worst kind of grotesque lumper, then uh, all these animals that with subspecies, it's like, well, why is that a subspecies? It's a subspecies as a quirk of history, not because that really means anything. And it's like, and I oh, yeah. want it, um, I want to tick that on my list. I don't want to have that in that species. I need that because that's, that's the common criticism. So, like, yeah, you just want it so you can tick seven goals instead of one. I haven't seen the herring goal. I've seen the Smithsonian goal, the yellow-legged goal, the skull, <sighs> goal, the Graham's guy goal. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I guess the reason it seems a bit like in some ways it's just be funny, right? But I guess the reason this is a bit pressing is because of the conservation angle. And yeah. I don't feel like we're doing a very good job on that, right? Well... Because what, for conservation, we kind of need to preserve genetic diversity and prefer, preserve ecosystem integrity. Um, and the current mishmash of species concepts and the different ways they're applied all over the, all over the shop are just making us a big mess.
1: Well, yeah, but on the other hand... I mean, they're probably
0: circling around sort of vaguely where we want to be, but it's not very rigorous.
1: No, but but, but I'm sure we've covered this before. You can also say that we're gradually moving away from the stage where there are plans to specifically protect species, apart from flagship species, your African elephant, tiger, etc. And instead, it's like protect the, I don't know... Carpathian ecosystem or something, and it's got you know, it should have about twenty passerine birds in it and ten frogs in it, that that kind of thing. And yeah, are so just to
0: know twenty. Okay, so 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 it should have twenty, and then we just go, oh, actually, all these things are subspecies. Actually, forty. Can we lose half of them?
1: Well, probably the answer then is yes, because there is this whole literature on on extinction but, management and how no, much.
0: No, no, no. What I'm saying is that you've already assumed numbers based on some sort of system which is the current mishmash system that we've got, which <clears throat> is, which is well, applied you, differently to different taxonomic groups. It's a big mess, take, that's what I'm saying. It's not very scientific.
1: Well, well you take a poll of experts and... You
0: know. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Right. by democracy. Great.
1: Um, um, so, okay... Right, so there you go, good one. So uh, again, although no, I
0: agree with this paper. If you take a species concept and apply it, I do think these are interesting ones to do it. I like, just take a pure species concept and try to apply it and see. That's what the my are. right.
1: Yeah. Okay, because I predict that nobody that works on the systematics of birds is going to take this. No one is going to go away and rewrite. And next time they write a book, no one's going to say, "By the way, there are now twenty thousand birds." Instead, they're all going to say, some experts propose that we might recognise. There's going to be all these caveats. Someone, maybe we should do this. And in the individual groups concerned, how many white-headed gulls there are, how many pied wagtails there are, etc., there isn't going to be a case where people, university, just lie down and take this, pardon the expression. There, it's all going to be like, this is the thing that some people say we should follow, but we mostly don't follow it. So I don't think there's anything wrong with saying what they've said. So... Right, yeah. Okay. Right. Okay. Let's briefly, crack off. Yeah. Oh. Did you read my article on the Minnesota Iceman? I did, yeah. And it's also been, we've discussed it on the podcast before. This is the book yeah. Neanderthal, the strange saga of the Minnesota Iceman. Uh, interesting story behind this book. It was originally published in, I think, 1974, Bernard Hooverman's and Boris Porschev as L'homme, ne, L'homme de Neanderthal est toujours vivant, the man of Neanderthal. He's alive. <laughs> <laughs> he's alive today um that wasn't a french accent uh they've taken out the boris portion section and they've only uh, it turned out that okay a, a cryptozoolist called paula blonde who best known perhaps for his work with the late ed Boosefield on cadbrasaurus uh, paula blonde for fun in his spare time translated london and yeah translated it and lauren coleman well-known for his interest in Bigfoot, etc., found out about this, and was like, oh, my God, this needs to be published, and there you go, this is the book. And uh, I'm about halfway through it at the moment, and uh, it's interesting, and I'll talk more about it on Tet he because got a lot of things to say about it. A real shocker to me, this is a Tet podcast exclusive, real shock to me is, if you know anything about the Minnesota Iceman, what you know is that uh, Hooverman and Sarnison saw this thing in ice, they said, oh, my God, it's a real hominin corpse, it's like a modern-day Neanderthal, yeah. Uh, the, the owner, Frank Hansen, then apparently panicked after like, the FBI and so on got involved and then supposedly replaced it with a model. And then people who saw it afterwards said, oh, that's not the same as the original. Uh, that means that the original has been lost. And the thing that Hooverman and Sarneson saw, we can't ever actually study that. But maybe they were right. However the big surprise in this book is hooverman's contends that that never happened and he says that that the so-called replacement wasn't the replacement it was still the original and the so-called original is supposedly on show today at the museum of the weird in austin texas it was bought on is bought via an ebay auction i think like three years ago and was on tv on a a tv series called shipping wars and quite well covered case um you can go and see what's supposed to be the Minnesota Iceman. So, is that, and that obviously that is, without shadow of a doubt, shadow of a doubt, a, a model. Is that the exact same thing as the as the thing that Hooverman said is real? And I think yeah, yes. I wish I'd
0: been thinking about this. I could have gone and seen it when I was in Austin. Oh well. you fool. But yeah, I'm a fool. Uh, that would have um, been fun.
1: Now, Hanukkah Meyer has been hassling me, hassling me for weeks. The number of emails I have from that woman. Uh, Hanukkah Meyer says, Darren, can you talk about... <laughs> Just kidding, Hanukkah? You're great. Uh, SVP Memoir 15, Anatomy of the Dodo, an osteological study of the Theroux specimens by Leon Cleeson Hanukkah Meyer, and Julian Hume and Kenneth... Raj... Ridge... Ridge... Didjka. So one of those words I can't pronounce as a stupid English speaker. And... Um, yeah, this is – how awesome is this? They, like, mm-hmm. you know, scanned, digitized, uh, this uh, brilliant dodo skeleton and, like, just the, – there's, there's, there's some good literature on dodos. Uh, I like, in particular, um, uh, Joe Parrish's The Dodo and the Solitaire book, which I reviewed for Journal of Virtual Planetology, which I shouldn't have done because now no one else can read it. And, um yeah. It's really nice, um, if, you're a, yeah, if you're interested sweet. in dodos. Yeah. It's a, an SVP memoir, so part of the Society of Vertebrate Paleontology uh, series. And uh, in completely unrelated news, today, the 18th of January 2017, um, Mark Whitten and I have our paper on uh, Romanian as darkids out in peer so it's open access and the paper is mostly about a, a neck vertebra mostly about a single cervical vertebra uh, and we know without doubt that it's from an Asdarkid. pterosaur
0: cervical vertebra of the week
1: yep and uh, it's weird uh, uh, it's definitely from an asdarkid and it's super weird and it tells us lots of things about the neck of this animal we think it belongs to a kind of asdarkid known from romania called hatsogoptrix which is represented by a bunch of other material already including like part of the upper arm and part of the skull and so on and it all fits into the same general picture we basically think that hatsogoptrix is a robust relatively short-necked for an asdarkid relatively short-necked arch predator a big thick neck predatory asdarkid and Another Tezu podcast exclusive. I'll say that there's lots more to this story. There's lots more material that kind of backs up what we've said, but we can't publish it for various um, political reasons. Um, wow. th- this paper comes at the end of like a, a long series of um, projects that have basically never come to fruition due to, uh, well, I just cr- I can't even talk about it. It's crazy politics.
0: Paleontology.
1: Uh,
0: yeah. <laughs> okay. We're gonna to have to move on. We can't do any more cash for questions, we don't have time. So let's uh let's let's move on to popular tap.
1: Okay, so we were gonna talk about three things, but as always happens, so much time goes by between episodes. It's not our fault. It's not our fault, listeners. If we were rich yeah. it wouldn't happen. It's your fault. It's your fault, listeners. It's your fault. <laughs> <laughs> um all the other work we have to do. God, slaving away over a hot computer day in day out. No time for podcasting. Um well okay, I want to talk about Arrival which I saw at the cinema weeks and weeks and weeks ago and it is a yeah. film about a scientist's effort to Okay,
0: get, we don't have we don't have time for you just, to recap movies. I'm not, just, 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 it's just, about just, aliens just, arriving. Just, yeah, it's about aliens exactly. Yeah, everyone knows it. And it's
1: really right. good. And I really like it. Okay, but I
0: haven't seen it. So to, we're going okay. to talk about that when it comes out on iTunes or Netflix or somewhere I can get it. So let's move on.
1: Westworld is now finished. I want to talk about that because I thought that was really good. And I want to talk about like what it does relative to like, the original story, the Michael Crichton based um, movie with your Brenner in it. I have seen is, it, so we can't yeah. talk about it. So finally,
0: Rouge 1
1: or Rouge Rogue 1? 1. One rogue
0: Rouge
1: one Oon. um what do we say about rogue one um you've seen it
0: right yeah i've seen it yeah. so i saw it on my birthday um, unforgettable with yeah half a bottle of rum <laughs> <laughs> it's true. went to one of those fancy cinemas with the sofas you know um and yes it was a uh, i thought it was visually quite good in Mm -hmm. many ways, but I didn't like it as much as um, The Force Awakens. and Mm. Um, I didn't enjoy it as much. I didn't think it was as enjoyable a film. Mm -hmm. And I felt a lot of the characters felt a little flat. So overall, people are saying like it's the best one ever and it's so much better than all the others and or... It's it's better than The Force Awakens. Some people are even saying it's better than Empire Strikes Back. And it's like... Oh, ah, my heart. Ah. No, no. I mean, it's not prequel. It's way above the prequels, I think.
1: Well, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: They're not even canon. So, yeah, it's, it was okay. I enjoyed it. But I, I didn't think it was really the triumph that people seem to think it is. What do you think?
1: I liked it. And I thought it had some great stuff in it some brilliant yeah like brilliant visuals brilliant scenes i am trying to find my internet review of it because i'm going to be really tedious and read that out because i think overall i'm just going to read this out and if you don't like it tough uh some pretty good story some great characters some awesome set pieces so the uh the spoilers okay spoilers the um the on jakar or whatever it was that wasn't called jakar that's another film uh the the yeah the desert the The holy city forest Whitaker died um the, the 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 impact of star destroyers that was awesome and the darth vader bits and particularly the darth vader blockade runner scene at the end that was great And something that if you're a Star Wars fan, you've seen played out in graphic novels and artwork many, many times. So it's good to kind of see it. It was fun. They did that well. Um, It does things that do do put it outside the trilogies. But I like the fact that we get connectedness between episode – Uh, four and episode six so the stuff that obviously does connect a new hope with uh, with return the jedi i also like the fact that if you think of the cast of the original star wars so a new hope it's apart from one or two characters it's wall-to-wall european white men and they it's like with this film, it's like they kept that in mind and they tr- they deliberately like tried to make a bridge between that universe. There, you can't pretend that doesn't exist. You can't pretend that people didn't didn't do that. So you say well, there's that, but we can also connect that with this like expanded, more diverse universe where there are people that don't look humans that don't look European. There are women, and there are even non humans yeah. as well, right? There's an insane number of cameos, characters, droids, yeah. uh, even even sound effects in the background. There's so much Star Wars nerdatory stuff. It was did feel a bit like fan. Yeah. Uh, yeah, sort of yeah. Virtu- gratuitous as an as a action with my hand I'm making there. Um yeah. Uh, I think they overdid that quite a lot. The Death Star stuff was great. The stuff with the Imperial Walker type things, AT-ATCs, they're called, was good. The AT-ST appearance, the the Scout Walker scene, that was that was great, but uh, basically a cameo, too too brief. I like K2SO, uh, voiced by Alan Tudyk. He, he was the, the brilliant uh, droid. My, Will, my son, has gone and bought the Lego version of him. It's quite a cool character. Forrest Whitaker was great, but his role was way smaller than you expecting from the trailers. And on the trailers, the bastards they put so much stuff into the trailers that you were expecting to get in the film and you just, and you just didn't get it so i hate the fact they do that i know why they do it i I've know got it a can solu- be justified i know it can be justified no, 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 i've got a solution don't, for you darren don't take it Darren,
0: darren i've got a solution for you don't, don't watch don't, trailers don't watch tra- i knew you were gonna say that um, Why so, watch them? You so, know you're going to see this film in the cinema. Uh, don't watch the uh, trailers. Uh, <laughs> don't fall for it. Just don't watch
1: them. You're led to think these things are going to happen. You're led to think what will you become? That Jin's going to become a Thai pilot. She's going to join the Empire. No. Uh, so, uh, but the Grand Moff Tarkin in the room does digitally re- recreated versions of mm. some characters. No. Don't do that. It's not okay, in my opinion, and it doesn't work. It doesn't work. So having Peter Cushing, no, it just never convinced me once, not just because I'm a Star Wars fan, just because I kind of have some idea what humans look like, and I didn't think that worked. And Carrie Fisher at the end, I mean, obviously that's f- more poignant now, what with uh, RIP Carrie Fisher, really sad. But um, uh, yeah, that just, that just didn't work. And, uh, and the thing is, like, now they've done it, is it that they're going to carry on doing it and they're, obviously they're going to become better at it? Are we going to see more of that? Because obviously this is a big issue, how ethical or not this is. Uh, final thoughts. This did feel to me like a graphic novel brought to life, as in – and I don't mean that's a good thing. I mean it felt like a sort of fan project. Uh, and, and people who know like the role-playing game and the, you know, the novels about Star Wars and the graphic novels – and the comics and stuff. It did feel as if someone had invented their own couple of characters, and they then wanted them crowbarred into the story. There's characters like um, Admiral Thrawn, who's a well-known character in like the the bigger universe, the expanded Star Wars universe, which of course is now redundant post Disney. But it felt to me like that had been worked. That basically it was a movie. It was like a fan movie, and oh. it this, similar. You've you've said similar things to this before. It felt like one of these things where. It's a fan making a super serious, detailed movie about an aspect of the universe. But in terms of its popular appeal and how fun it is on that level, it doesn't quite work. So I enjoyed it a lot, but it did feel like a a fan made movie and it didn't have the stuff that is, that has actually made Star Wars a success, which is like characters like Harrison Ford's Han Solo and the humor and, you know,
0: yeah. If you imagine Star Wars without Han Solo, which is essentially what you have in this this film, it's it's flat. It would never it would never be a pop culture phenomenon. It would never be the thing it is. It'd be a bunch of forgotten sci fi movies. It'd be interesting in the way that oh wow, look at the special effects in this. They look great for the seventies and eighties. Yeah. There's no way it would be a thing. So
1: yeah, yeah. I, think, I um, think it was the human side of Star Wars that made it such a hit. In the seventies, yeah. and guaranteed that we got onto this path that we're on now. Two yeah. Star Wars films a year. Also, from rest- a stylistic
0: like- point, I do have some criticism of it from a stylistic point of view. Although it had a lot of great scenes, you know, the, uh, the big Star Destroyer sitting over the city and um, when the Jedha. Death Star, called, yeah. Death Star blows it up. Yep, Jeddah. Yep. Uh, yeah, all that. A lot of those scenes were really good. It did fall a little bit into what a lot of these films do. A lot of fighting in the dark for minutes and minutes on end. And you just sort of get a bit lost and think, uh, what's the point? And Jenny said this afterwards. It was like, well, there was there was a lot of fighting in the dark and I didn't know what a lot of it was about. I don't mean that you can't really see what's going on. I hmm. just mean that it's it feels kind of laboured and pointless and unclear. It's not sharp filmmaking and lots and lots and lots of these sci-fi action films sort of go in for it. Lots you know of who fighting d- in the dark, flickery lights, lens flare. Uh, okay. And yeah, that sort of thing. And you just think, you know. I
1: thought some of that. And there are know.
0: some scenes in the original ones like that, you know, the, some of the lightsaber fights and stuff like that. That's sort of the classic.
1: Yeah, where, yeah. Yeah. Um,
0: this one, it didn't work because they weren't lightsaber fights. It just yeah. felt like a lot of other action films with fighting in the dark, and it just. Do you know who boring. directed this
1: film? Um, it was it was Gareth Edwards. Was this a, uh, no, I didn't. Yeah. Wasn't it? Well, I think it was Gareth Edwards. And do you know what other film he uh, famous recent film he uh, directed? Um, don't what? Google it! Don't Google it! You cheating bastard!
0: Well, okay, I don't know, so I was going to Google it and find <laughs> out. Tell me.
1: Godzilla. Oh, uh, yeah. The Godzilla that you hate. Yeah, I really so, that which that which could Which was interesting because you could level uh, the criticisms that you just laid out there so, sound really similar to what you would, you probably did say or you could say. I did
0: say about Godzilla, yeah. yeah. I did say that. And um, also, yeah, it's interesting, it's him, but also um, the Kaiju film, what was that called?
1: specific Rim. I mean, Pacific <laughs> Rim.
0: <laughs> Pacific Rim. That also suffered from the fights in the dark type problem, which is just visually really not good. It works occasionally for mood, but it's not a good visual mode for a film.
1: Right. So, what would we give Rogue One out of 10?
0: Oh, I'm going to give it. Uh, it's tricky. It feels like a bit like Interstellar in a way, you know? Like Interstellar had some such amazing visuals but such a stupid plot in the end. It's hard to balance those two things, right? And I think that Rogue One is like a less extreme version of that. Some of the visuals were really good, probably not quite as good as um Interstellar. And then on the other hand, the plot was not as stupid or annoying as Interstellar.
1: So, what, what were you going to give it out of 10 again? <laughs> I'll Listen, out of 10. You drone on and
0: on and on and on. Yeah, and but and people on. like my
1: droning on. They tell me this.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to give it. I'm going to give it. Yeah, I'm mean, Between a 6 and a 7. I, oh.
1: Six and a seven. 65. Given that we
0: should use the whole thing, (laughs) given that we should use the whole range, I'll give it a six. It's a good Mm -hmm. film. It's an okay film, but it's not, it's
1: not. I'll change mine to a six because you really sold me there. Okay. Mm. All right. So that, we've just gotten through the whole agenda apart from that bit there. And, okay. Okay. Uh, Time's up basically. So, yeah. We need to record another one real soon, so yep. thank you to listeners and thank you to cash for questioners um we want to get we really really want to get into the habit of doing them like uh, I want to be like the new Josh Rogan, do you like one every week or something and build up the numbers from beyond the kind of eight nine million sort of figure where we're floating around <laughs> and sort of back into into the double figures of millions uh, <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So, did I mention my new paper with Mark Witten on our Star Kids is out? Uh, Mark Witten, mm-hmm. take a shot. Did I mention we're playing the drinking game? I've been playing the drinking game. <gasps> okay, new Twitter, Twitter, uh, Twitter, Twitter, blah, blah, blah. Come on. Twitter, I'm at... <sighs> Stop that. My hands are dirty. My hands are dirty, <laughs> too. What are you afraid of? <laughs> and more importantly I'm on Patreon and you know I can't get beyond the level of more I can't get beyond having a hundred patrons I get just over a hundred patrons and then I lose a bunch so come on slackers where's my money Uh, yeah (laughs) how do you how do you expect me to show down show down all right
0: I'm on Patreon too oh yeah okay so look us up look us up on Twitter Facebook yeah, we're all over the freaking internet. Yeah, God, well, we turn around on the internet without God. God it's us. just awful. Yeah,
1: right. I don't know how
0: you found us if you can find us through all these things anyway.
1: Yeah,
0: how many okay. people do you think listen to the podcast that haven't found us on all these other things first? Ooh, anyway,
1: I like, yeah, yeah. Anyway, I like it when yeah. when someone follows me on Twitter and they said, "You have a podcast." I'm like <laughs> that's how I'm known. Okay, yeah. Right. Okay. Bye.